Welcome to another episode of the Your Worth Taking Care Of series as part of Mental Health Awareness Week 2021, brought to you by Man Marking. To date, we have made just shy of 100 episodes of the Man Marking podcast, and we've been asking you, the listener, where's the talking? And we know that there are a lot more people talking now than when we started, and it's incredible to see. But the next step may be for you to do something more productive to improve your mental health and that may involve seeking out professional treatment and different types of therapy and that can be scary for a lot of people and it can be a huge step into the unknown so to help you we've put together seven episodes one for every day of mental health awareness week to give you some options of what treatment may be available and what may work best for you my advice would be to do it but do it for the right reason and the reason is and this I think is hard for a lot of us to absorb, but it's so important. The reason to do it is that you're worth taking care of, full stop. A lot of us will will qualify that in some way or, or think that as you were suggesting, there has to be some kind of a reason for, you know, for, for resting or for, for doing things that are kind to ourselves. And we end up treating ourselves worse than we would treat even people that we don't care for. And so treat yourself like you're someone who's worth taking care of. Even if you don't buy it at first, pretend like that's true and, and see what happens. And I think that's the, that's the best starting point. And that really is, I think, the work for all of us for a lifetime. In today's episode, we'll be speaking to psychologist Seth J. Gillahan, and we'll be discussing cognitive behavioral therapy. Sure. Yes. I'm Seth Gillahan. I'm a clinical psychologist and I, I treat patients uh, these days only by video conference. And uh, I write books, I blog, I have a podcast, and I specialize in a type of treatment that we'll talk about called cognitive behavioral therapy. Absolutely. And so first of all, then, Seth, could you give us an overview or a, an introduction to, to what cognitive behavioral therapy is? Sure, Dan. So Cognitive behavioral therapy is the type of psychotherapy, and it's it focuses on a set of specific uh, skills that we can learn and that we can apply in any area of our lives. So the, there are three main types of skills that make up CBT that we'll talk more about. So there's the cognitive part that has to do with how we work with our thoughts and train our minds to think in more productive ways. There's the behavioral part that's planning actions that serve us well. And we, we can all plan and, and intend to do certain things. And yet we, we often have a hard time following through. So I think of the behavioral approach really as ways of finding more leverage so that we can, we don't have to just rely on willpower or, or strain and try to work harder but we can find uh, approaches that actually make things easier and that kind of work with our, our, uh, our, our mind's natural uh, software, so to speak. And the third part is super simple. It's just being present in our lives and opening to them exactly as they are. That's it's often called mindfulness. We can call it that, or we can really just call it being aware, being uh, in our lives so we're actually doing what we're doing 
So together, these, these three approaches have been shown in countless studies to be effective at treating a lot of different types of psychiatric conditions like depression and anxiety. But what I find most exciting about CBT, I mean, that, that's a, a, a great part of it, but is the, the, there's really no ceiling on these practices that we can continue to use them even when our lives are going pretty well, kind of like going to the gym. We don't just go to the gym because we don't want to be weak. We go because we want to grow. We want to get stronger. We want to develop in new ways. And I think that really is the, the biggest promise of CBT. I think that's, um, that's a really good point, that's Seth. And it's something that has come up a few different times in different ways in the, in the podcast that we've done around, you know, thinking about maintaining your mental health rather than just treating it when it, when it gets to crisis mm. point, so to speak, which sort of nicely brings me on to my next question, which was for our listeners who, who maybe have not had CBT before, or, you know, they, maybe they have, but it was, you know, a while ago and maybe you're thinking about it. Who would you specifically say that CBT would be beneficial for? Well, I, I think it's, I mean, it, it applies broadly. Uh, there, Aaron Beck is one of the people who developed the treatment and, and one of the things he said, he was kind enough to, uh, to write a, a blurb for one of my books on CBT. And he said that, that CBT is for, for everyone, really. I mean, that was, that was his conclusion. And because all of us share certain tendencies that at times are helpful and at times aren't. So, uh, so it's for all of us. But I think you know, for those who, who may be dealing with conditions like low mood or even depression, uh, maybe we're struggling with anxiety that's hard to manage or or we're avoiding things out of fear like like driving or heights or or those kinds of things uh, for those who have a condition like obsessive compulsive disorder um, unmanageable stress uh, sleep problems like insomnia and a, and a lot more things these are all issues that uh, research shows can be treated really effectively with cbt and one of the one of the greatest benefits, and this is one of the things that really drew me to it as a graduate graduate student when I was you know, figuring out what therapy was and what type I wanted to practice, is that it doesn't take a lot of sessions to to really find the benefit. A typical course can be anywhere from maybe as, as few as eight sessions up to you know, fifteen or so. It can be more or fewer than that, but it, you know it's not the kind of thing where we're committing to, okay, now I'm going to be in therapy for years. And, you know, it's just going to be a, a, another staple of my life. It can be and some people like it that way, but, but it can also be the kind of thing where we, we get in, get what we need, and then take those skills with us and keep practicing on our own. And in terms of for somebody who was, you know, say a, a, a patient of, of yours, Seth, or, you know, for anyone who's uh, going for CBT, how would it work practically? What would it look like? What would it feel like? What are the kind of things that people should be, you know, aware of before they, they go into it? Yeah, the most important thing is, is that we feel comfortable, like we have a connection with the person that we're seeing. So assuming that's the case, then uh, the, the first session or two usually consists of a pretty thorough evaluation, getting a sense of what's right in our lives, what our strengths are, where we're struggling, what our symptoms have been, and you know, figuring out that baseline, and then setting some goals together. And the goals are going to be things that we agree on. They're going to be developed collaboratively. 
So therapy is really a collaborative process in CBT and that goes all the way through. It's not the kind of thing where, where we go and we just sort of present ourselves as if we're seeing a surgeon, they do their thing and then we say thank you and, and we're changed hopefully for the better. But it's, it's, a, it's this dynamic back and forth where we come with our expertise in our lives and our histories and, and our challenges and, and those meet you know, the, the experience and the skills of the therapist. And then from there, each session tends to be pretty focused. So it's, it's not a lot about kind of exploring the past and, you know, tell me more about your childhood, which, I mean, there's, there's a lot of value in that type of therapy for a lot of us. And, uh, and we do address childhood dynamic to some extent, but the focus really is going to be more present oriented and more action oriented. So let's figure out what's going on in your life. What are the thinking, behaving, and, and dynamics in your attention that are, are keeping you stuck? And let's figure out where you want to go and then practice some skills each week that are going to help you get there. So there ought to be a sense of continuity from one session to the next. So at the end of the session, we summarize, all right, this is what we worked on. Here's some things to practice in between. There will probably be homework, which is a good thing. It's... it's really it's above all it's important to bring these things into our daily lives and then in the next session there will be uh, typically a review of how things went uh, with the practice what's come up that week and then uh, you know approaching the next step in whatever skills we're working on so a pretty straightforward uh, approach and, and a pretty predictable structure for those who are going through this type of treatment and I've I've kind of went you know from from reading about CBT and and you know I've had therapy myself before and seen a counsellor and I've um, I've been referred for CBT but never never actually gone through with it up until now and I've always heard that it's it's the type of thing that maybe is good alongside um, so for example we did uh, one of these episodes is about uh, antidepressants and. Um, we were talking about how they're kind of useful sometimes in terms of maybe freeing up your mind for things like CBT. And I suppose, is it one of those things where when people are approaching it, they might need to have uh, sort of expectations of themselves and also expectations of what to expect from the treatment? Well, it, it's a great question about the 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 interaction between uh, medications and uh, psychotherapy, in particular CBT, and the expectations that we bring. And the expectations matter a lot. I think one of the expectations that often gets in the way of, uh, of making progress in any type of therapy is an assumption that a lot of us have internalized based on, on, on really scant or, or no data, that if we're depressed, that means there's a chemical imbalance in our brain that can only be fixed by taking a pill and that therapy can be a nice support to the, the real treatment, but that, but that a, a condition like depression requires medication. There are a lot of people who find benefit from medication, but the most rigorous research studies show that, uh, that CBT is at least as effective as, as uh, antidepressant medication for, uh, for many people, and that includes those who have severe depression there are uh, some people who will benefit from a combination 
of the two treatments. But a lot of people uh, can approach it with, with one treatment or the other and, and really uh, find their way through the depression. So, so I always like to, to stay open in terms of what people are looking for in treatment. And you know, some are looking for a, a supplement to the medication they're already on. Some uh, really aren't opposed to the idea of medication in principle, but would prefer to uh, address it through therapy alone to begin with. And, uh, and that can be a very effective approach for so many of us. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, Seth, was around, so for example, when I'm talking about myself, if I'm thinking about, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm aware I'll probably, when I re-enter the, the process of seeking um, therapy again at some point in the near future, I'll probably be referred for CBT. And my my thing, it might sort of the thing that holds me back from from kind of pursuing it more vigorously is that it feels like maybe I'll need to be in the right headspace and I'll need to be able to put the right effort into it as opposed to be able to for it to be beneficial is is the way that I'm thinking is that correct or or am I kind of overthinking it a little bit in terms of what it'll what will sort of take for me to benefit from it that is really a great question Dan because it, it does matter kind of when when we show up and how we show up for treatment and you know now is is not always necessarily the best time to start treatment it depends on kind of the space that we have for it mentally and logistically in our lives and financially at, at the same time so so there are there really is there, there are two parts to this one is that if you know when a person comes to me for treatment i have a lot of of sort of tools that i can offer them the one the one thing that i really can't provide sort of out of thin air is motivation. So if someone comes to treatment and they're really looking for essentially a, a pill in the form of a talk therapy, that something is going to be done to them, but then they're not uh, able to, to continue to, to apply the things in their own life, then that, that's it's probably not going to be a very effective course of treatment. And this has come up uh, a number of times, like if, if somebody has come at the at the urging or insistence of a loved one, like, uh, like a parent uh, forces their adolescent to come to therapy or a spouse demands that their partner come see me. If the person doesn't wanna be there or, or is, isn't really engaged, then th there's not a lot that I, I can probably do to be effective. So that's one part of it. But on the other, on the other hand, I think our, our job as therapists is to start wherever the person is in front of us. So if someone is coming in and they're saying, I, I really want to do CBT, but I know that I have a problem with follow through. So I don't know if this treatment is right for me. Then that gets folded into treatment. Then that becomes part of my job is to do the best that, that I can to offer uh, tools that are going to help this person to, uh, to take the the grain of motivation that they have and to nurture that and grow that into something that's going to support their work. So my approach is always, I want to start where the person is, uh, but the, the more kind of uh, self-direction and uh, initiative that a person brings, I think the more successful they're going to be. And the, the best that I can hope for, for someone in treatment is that they're going to, they come, they learn some skills, they understand the principles, and then 
they sort of get out in front of me and they're, they're leading the way and I'm really playing a, a supporting role. That uh, example that you gave there, Seth, was interesting when you were talking about someone who maybe would, that you know, one of their reservations might be, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm someone who, who doesn't follow things through or doesn't see things through to the end. And I suppose for that person, they've almost told themselves they're going to fail before they've started, mm. which is probably perhaps one of the things that maybe has given them some anxiety or some low moods. And and I think one of the, when I was reading, um, I was reading some of your, your, your blog posts and things, and one of the terms that you talk about is catastrophizing, which I guess that example there is kind of an example of that, that somebody is already pre-empting something that's going to happen before they've kind of gotten to it. And I think for a lot of people that causes a lot of anxiety, doesn't it? Could you kind of tell us what catastrophizing is and sort of, the type of thing that, that people can do to manage that in their daily lives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let me talk about catastrophizing in a second, but that's the, the, the way you describe that. I just want to come back to, because you're exactly right. That, that, that belief that why well, I shouldn't even try CBT because I don't follow through on things that uh, that's assuming that nothing is going to change that, that therapy will not be able to address exactly that issue in therapy that the issue that could get in the way of therapy is something that therapy can can actually be helpful with. So you're exactly right. That's the kind of assumption that the cognitive part of CBT helps us to recognize and to challenge. So one one of the common assumptions is exactly what you what you call it, a catastrophizing. So that's when we assume that something's going to turn out really badly and and usually the the worst case scenario. So uh, a simple example would be, uh, I make a mistake at work and I assume, oh no, now uh, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get fired over this, even if it's a relatively minor thing. So in CPT, we, we start out by recognizing that, that our minds are, are feeding us these thoughts that may, may or may not be true. We often mistake the, the running commentary in our heads for a direct readout on reality as if you know someone's just calling the play-by-play -play, like now you made a mistake okay now now you're about to get fired as though the, those things are just facts but most of them are just sort of editorializing or, or things that our minds make up it's good on the one hand to be able to imagine the worst case scenario because then we can we can plan for things when they go wrong but when we start to expect worst case scenario, exactly as you said, it leads to anxiety, it leads to unnecessary stress. It can lead us to end relationships that we don't need to. It can, it can lead to, I remember uh, many times playing sports growing up. And if there was a, you know, if I made a mistake, uh, like missed a, a ground ball or something in baseball, and I would, I would have this catastrophic thought of oh, now we're going to lose the game and it's going to be my fault. That can happen. It's not like the catastrophes that we worry about never happen, but we can recognize that there are alternatives. We don't have to suffer in advance before what we're afraid of has actually happened. And, and almost the, the kind of converse of that is a sort of something that I find really interesting, which is seems to be something that's, that's become more and more a thing over maybe the last I don't know, five, 10, 15 years, and probably due to the advent of social media, I guess. So I read uh, Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of, of Not Giving a Fuck, um, a few years back. Mm, yeah. And obviously he talks about his, his, a lot of that book from 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 what I remember is around not 
being so obsessed with having to be positive and be outgoing and be happy and all the time it kind of just reduces the pressure a little bit and that almost feels like the the same um, mechanisms as catastrophizing but working in the opposite way if you see what i mean <laughs> i love that yes i i agree and and that's that you, what you're getting at is actually uh, cbt is often seen as being as being one-sided in that it's just uh, like positive thinking like let's just think happy thoughts but but what you're doing is is really expanding uh, that that understanding to include, you know, it's it's not about being unrealistically negative or unrealistically positive, because there's there's nothing helpful in the long run about ignoring problems in our lives or pretending we're not upset. I mean, certainly that is is not a recipe for wellness. So yes, it's it's really about seeing the world as clearly and as accurately as possible and you know, re removing our, our blinders um, and opening to life. And that includes the, the good bits that we tend to ignore, but also maybe the, the uncomfortable parts that we can often push away. And there was, um, there was something else I really wanted to, to kind of ask you about, particularly right now. I mean, obviously due to, to, to COVID, it's, it's, I think for a lot of people, it's kind of pushed that conversation, that thought around, people's work-life balance and and where do you draw the line between you know the day that you're at work and the day you're at home has become obviously for obvious reason a, a lot more blurred and there's a blog post that you wrote which is about the importance of kind of unwinding and having true rest how important is it you know for the ability for people to be able to switch off and unwind when you know when people are looking at having good you know mental well-being and having a positive mental health Mm. Yeah, I think there, there are a few things that are more important than that. I think a lot of us live our lives in a kind of perpetual state of, of semi-fight or flight, and we're maybe addicted to a, a kind of low-grade adrenaline rush or maybe a, maybe a higher-grade rush. And so we're, we're operating on these stress hormones, and we know from, from decades of research on, you know, with, from from laboratory animals on up that initially stress can spur us on and, and, and make us more energetic and productive. And that over time it starts to take a toll and not just mentally, but physically. And that eventually we reach an exhaustion point and our, our bodies and, and uh, our minds start to break down. So we'll, we'll see physical illness, we'll see uh, psychiatric conditions like anxiety, like insomnia, like depression. And so as always making uh, positive changes in this area, start with, with greater awareness and recognizing stress, recognizing how our bodies are responding and slowing down enough that we can recognize those things. You know, one thing I'm, I'm noticing Dan and, and a lot of it is just from observing my own relationship with stress is that when I am feeling most stressed and pressured and sort of under the gun and when I most need to step back and unwind is when I feel most compelled to keep going. As if part of the stress response is this feeling of not enough time, I have to do more, I have to stay productive. 
and it doesn't end up being, I mean, it, it's certainly not a, an enjoyable state to stay in. It, it doesn't end up being productive in the long run. Uh, eventually we're, we're gonna crash. And it also doesn't lead to our, our best work, not our most uh, creative work, uh, doesn't help relationships. So unfortunately it seems like the kind of thing that for so many of us, we learn the hard way. We, we know, yes, yeah, stress management, mm, yeah, so important. Definitely gonna put that on my list of things to do. And then it just kind of gets kicked down the road and it often takes a crisis to get us to that point where we take it seriously. And I'm speaking for myself here as well. But if we can, can look down the road and, and see that coming sooner rather than later, we can take steps proactively to, to, to really start to manage our stress more effectively. I think um, the word counterintuitive that you used, uh, Seth, was I think that's really important because I think often our response to feeling as though you know we, we we need to get more done and we need to get you know need to be better at something is always to work harder at it or to do more of it and sometimes the best answer is to do less is to step away from something and give you the you know your brain the chance to relax and and rest and recuperate and you'll come back to it a little bit better but it feels like you say counterintuitive because it feels that you're doing the opposite of the thing that you should be doing and i often find that with a lot of this stuff and going back to what i was saying before about social media is that with a lot of issues of anxiety certainly that I have it feels as though you have to constantly have to to kind of justify everything that you're doing so if you're having a rest or you're having a break or you you know you just can't be bothered doing anything that day you have to have a reason for why you're doing it and I think that's one of the big things that I've noticed from doing this podcast and having conversations like this with people is that everyone always feels that they're on the go they have to be doing something have to be achieving something and if you're having a rest, there has to be, or I'm, you know, I'm doing this while I'm resting, or I'm doing this rest because of this, rather than just being like, I fancy not doing anything today, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, great point. Yeah, we undervalue simply being so much, and we equate being uh, having worth with being productive, and and yeah, it is interesting. We often will frame as I just did frame rest as important for our productivity, but uh, that, that sort of betrays our, our uh, preoccupation with getting things done. And one of the things that's hard to, to recognize, you know, we often uh, probably maybe always, when we think of being disciplined, we think of, of doing things and, and, and being productive. But one of the hardest things to be dis disciplined about is to say no, when, when saying no makes sense to, to uh, to step back from things and do less. And actually, I'm, I'm aiming these days to have days that are uh, that are um, uh, what's the word um, when I'm well, I can't I forget exactly how I've how I've thought of it in the past. But but basically, when I'm uh, doing less than I could, when I'm under underproducing. I know what you mean. I was going to say the way that I was going to say Seth was it's like saying I'm going to have a lazy day, and then I was thinking about it. And I was thinking that's already putting like a negative spin on mm -hmm. it, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah. you're already telling yourself you're being lazy when you you you're not. You you you're allowed to have a break. Like it's a good thing and it's a positive thing to have a break. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And finally, then, so to kind of wrap us up, Seth. I mean. Y 
you've obviously talked a, a lot there about you know different different reasons why people might want to engage with with CBT for example or or, or other sort of um uh, mental health therapies and and for anyone who's listening who might be thinking about seeking out professional sort of mental health support and maybe hasn't gone down this path before so it seems a little bit maybe a little bit alien to them or they're not sure what to expect you know what would your kind of one piece of advice be to to someone who's listening well it's a, it's going to be an obvious one but I'll, I'll i'll explain why the my advice would be to do it but do it for the right reason. And the reason is, and this I think is hard for a lot of us to absorb, but it's so important. The reason to do it is that you're worth taking care of, full stop. A lot of us will will qualify that in some way or, or think that as you were suggesting, there has to be some kind of a reason for, you know, for, for resting or for, for doing things that are kind to ourselves. And we end up treating ourselves worse than we would treat even people that we don't care for. And so treat yourself like you're someone who's worth taking care of. Even if you don't buy it at first, pretend like that's true and, and see what happens. And I think that's the, that's the best starting point. And that really is, I think, the work for all of us for a lifetime. That's, um, Seth, I think that's such a, such a, you know, such a lovely message. And I think that's, that's, you know, as you were saying, it's it's such a simple message as well, and but it can be so um, important for a lot of people, and probably for a lot of people listening as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Seth, thank you so much for for your time and for for answering the questions, and yet yeah, I'm sure people will uh, will have taken a lot from everything that you've said. Well, thank you, Dan. It's great speaking with you, and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Fantastic. Same to you, Seth, and and thanks for your time, mate. And take care. All right. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to find out more about Man Marking, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Marking underscore Man. And don't forget to use those hashtags, Where's the Talking Lads, and Your Way of Taking Care of. To find out more about Seth, you can find him on Twitter at Seth Gillahan. And also, I would highly recommend checking out Seth's podcast, which is called Think Act B. And you can find that in all the usual podcast places. If you've enjoyed today's episode or any of our others, I'd really encourage you to head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a subscribe, a review. It really helps us to reach more listeners and grow the podcast. You can join us tomorrow for episode number six, where I'll be joined by Sam Lewis from Roundabout Drama. He is a, Sam is a drama therapist, and we'll be discussing arts and creative therapy. 